We Saved You a Seat is sponsored by the Oklahoma Family Network. Oklahoma Family Network focuses on supporting families of children and youth with special health care needs and disabilities, as well as families who have children with a mental health or behavioral health diagnosis. Oklahoma Family Network provides families with emotional support, resource navigation, parent-to-parent engagement opportunities, and wants to ensure quality health care for all children and families by building strong and effective family professional partnerships. Thank you for joining us today to celebrate and honor prematurity awareness. I'm really excited for you to hear from my friend Michelle and her journey with her son Drew. My beautiful conversation with Michelle will be released in two separate episodes, and this is part one. I want to begin this episode with a very sweet message from Michelle to all who cared for her and Drew. For those ladies that are in the NICU, for those amazing RTs, for the doctors, um, they held our hands through the hardest part of giving birth, of watching our baby grow outside of my, my body. They were my family. They were my mom. They were my sister. They were my brother. I just am so forever grateful for the people in our NICU that took us under their wing and loved on us. They cried with us. They hugged us. They helped us with our how to bathe our baby the first time. They helped us to feed our baby, to learn how to navigate ventilation to the different forms of high flow, low flow, all the things, um, they are amazing. And I will forever, forever be grateful for our family, our NICU family. So I really thought that I would start off by just kind of letting the listeners know that you and I know each other. We know each Mm other. We've probably been in each other's life a little over a year, but not Mm -hmm. face-to-face in each other's Mm -hmm. life. Mm-hmm. Um, you had Drew B. Drew uh, <laughs> in, uh, I guess, a little over a year ago, uh-huh. and he was in the NICU. And so, as we celebrate Prematurity Awareness Month, I know this is a big, a big journey for you, even still, because you're experiencing all of those first birthdays and those first few months in the hospital and trying to relive some of those experiences. So I appreciate you coming on and sharing a little bit of this because I know it's still a lot of processing as you prepared for all of this. And you've started participating in more with Oklahoma Family Network and supporting other moms. You've become a, a family support leader, a family leader in that aspect. And I thought maybe you just sharing your story today with others is I know going to be a great encouragement to the, to the hearts of other moms out there. And so why don't you start out by talking a little bit about how the delivery happened. Um, and obviously you have to talk about how it was part of COVID. We cannot um, leave that huge part of the story out because we didn't meet until after kind of COVID restrictions were lifted. So yeah, why don't you just start us off telling us about Drew? Okay. I was a late pregnancy. Um, It was funny when I first started going to my doctor's appointments, they said, you know, I was advanced age. And so I started off high risk um, into our pregnancy. 
And I went to that first appointment with my husband for our ultrasound. And we noticed the lady was very nice. The tech was very nice. And she did our little ultrasound, showed us his little head and everything. And then she left and then somebody else came in. And so Jason and I kind of looked at each other like, hmm, it's a little odd, but we've never done this before. This was our first pregnancy. So we just kind of went with the flow. And then that person did the same thing that the first tech did. And then we were done. So we left. Um, the next day I got a phone call from my um, doctor and she said, you have a shortened cervix and we need to do an emergency cerclage as soon as we can in order to keep your baby within you. And so that started the whole process of the whirlwind of pregnancy. And so that was, I believe, at 19 weeks, 18 weeks, 19 weeks. And so we did a cerclage, um, an emergency cerclage, and I was put on bed rest for the following six weeks. Um, it was hard, lots of tears, lots of emotions. Um, I am a school teacher. And so the having to stay home and not be within my classroom and be with my babies at school, I'm a first grade teacher. It was very, very hard for me. The fear of giving a premature birth was even more scary. Um, I had doctor's appointments every week. We would go in and check, do that lovely wand that we would have to meet every single time. My husband and I just made the most of it with the jokes when we were in there because it was heavy and hard and unpredictable. And we made it to 25 weeks, 24 weeks, I believe. And we celebrated because we were like, we finally made it to viability and we were so excited. So then we ended up one October day with our family out at the pumpkin patch walking around and I was supposed to be on bed rest, but I decided, Hey, I'll go walk around just a little bit, walked around. And then later that evening, I thought, this is weird. I have some pains. So I called my sister-in-law who was an RN. I was like, well, I don't know if I just out overdid it today. And I went over to her house. She lives here in the same town as me. And we, <laughs> started, she was like, well, maybe it's contractions, maybe not. So we started timing them and they kept getting closer and closer. So she was like, let's just go to, go to bed. It's late, go home. They continued to happen through the night. And early next morning, I told my husband, I said, I just don't feel like this is right. Maybe we should go in and get this checked. And so that was a Sunday morning. We went in and it was a whirlwind. We went through the ER they actually sent us right in, so I didn't have to wait very long in the, because I was a high-risk patient, I didn't have to wait too long in the ER. They took us straight in and realized that he was coming. So I ended up having to be admitted and labored through the night, all day through the night. And then early Monday morning at 5.30 a.m., they I started vomiting and it broke my cerclage. And they said, he's coming. So started at 5.30. I pushed for 19 minutes and Drew was with us at 5.49 um, at 26 weeks. And he weighed two pounds, 0.5 ounces teeny tiny. Um, it was just 
unbelievable. It was shocking. Um, it kind of felt like a dream. It was all happening. They, of course, whisked him right away into the NICU. He was put in that little saran wrap. He initially was not put on a ventilator, but the next 24 hours, they did have to intubate him. And he started the long process of growing his lungs outside of me. Um, it was a whirlwind. I've had, looking back, I've had lots of regret, I would have to say, for going to that October walk around at the pumpkin farm with my family. There have been moments where I thought if I didn't have done that, could he have lasted two more weeks within me? Um, that's been hard to work through. Um, I would say, again, it's all mental. I truly feel there was a reason why he came that October 4th day. There was a reason why we went to this hospital. Um, I truly believe God had a plan in all of that. And it is hard for me to look back sometimes and think of the whys, but it happened. And, and this is where we are now. Um, when we were thrown into the NICU life, I honestly had no idea. I had a cousin about 10 years earlier who had a baby in the NICU and she and I weren't very close, but her baby was in the NICU for quite some time, two to three months. And I remember walking into the NICU when her baby was in the NICU and that's really all I remember. So I don't remember their journey, how it all went. It was just something that, oh, she was going through. That was okay. That was their story. So it didn't really impact me. And now my eyes are completely open to what she went through because now I understand wholeheartedly what she went through. I've had moments where even talking to you, Tamara, I feel like, oh, our story's not really big. We didn't really have huge setbacks within the NICU, but then you've always confirmed that our NICU journey is our NICU story. Um, it is different than some, and but a lot of the similarities we all kind of walk through in the NICU, um, my story is important. One of the things that I have learned are those milestones you kind of look forward to. And I feel like any family that goes through the NICU look forward to those milestones. So I can relate to those families in that view. Drew may not have been on an oscillator, but he was on a vent and we went through all of those steps. And who were your supports in, when you were delivering while you were there at the hospital? And I guess I was just kind of thinking through you, you delivered during those COVID restrictions. And so who was, who was there with you? Who was giving mm -hmm. you those extra TLCs, those extra loves? Yeah, that I believe was the hardest part of our journey. Um, when I was admitted um, on the labor and delivery floor, I was, we were able to have my husband and one other visitor. So while I was in that room, I was able to have my mom come in. Thankfully, my mom and I are very close. So she would come in and relieve my husband and let him go eat dinner. And then he would come back and I, between the sobs and the crying and the wondering what's going to happen, because I completely just melted down, um, my whole world 
just kind of stopped when I was put in the hospital and I just couldn't believe that this was actually happening. I mean, I knew this was potentially to happen, but to actually have it start was just heart crushing, knowing that I wouldn't be able to carry Drew anymore. Um, so I did at one point through the evening, I had a particularly hard time. And so my husband called my sister-in-law and said, Hey, why don't you come in and kind of distract her for a little bit. So she was able to come in and see me just for like an hour. And then through the night, it was just my husband and I, and then during delivery, we weren't allowed anyone else. It was just my husband and I, um, my mom and family, of course, were FaceTiming as much as they could, but we were not allowed to have them in through that whole um, point in our journey. Then when Drew went into the NICU, due to COVID restrictions, we were only allowed, my husband and I, we have two older girls um, that were not allowed to come into the NICU due to the COVID restrictions. My family were not allowed. We didn't have a visitor's list. It was just my husband and I. Uh, and I will say it was the loneliest, hardest part of our stay at the beginning. Not only are you seeing this teeny tiny baby that you have no idea how to take care of, you couldn't have anyone come in and take care of you. And it, it just was so, it was so hard. All I wanted was my mom to go in with me. And of course I'm going to start crying. <laughs> it, uh, it was hard. It was very hard. And so my husband and I, we are just, we love people. My husband is just a big talker. I always say he can make friends with a wall. He just makes friends with everyone. It doesn't matter what walk of life, how old. He just grabs a hold of people. And that has thankfully seeped into me because I've always been an introvert, a very quiet person. And because of him, I we just loved the people that were in Drew's room. We, any nurse, any doctor, any RT, even our sweet little uh, lady that cleans the NICU, um, I would just grab a hold of her and we would just sit and talk because I couldn't have my mom or my sister-in-law with me. We would just grab a hold of those people. And I am forever grateful that I had those people to, to speak to through the loneliest time. Um, I especially gravitated towards several nurses um, and we would just sit all day. I would, when I was able to hold Drew, I would sit and hold him and I would just have the nurses pull their chair up and sit next to me when it was a downtime, um, when their babies were all good and well, we were able to just sit and talk for hours. And so they became my family. They truly did. I had a mama bear, fierce nurse who just was my right hand person that I could just ask any question. And I knew all my questions seemed silly or I didn't know what was going on that I could go to her and say, hey, what about this? Or what? Do, teach me this again. I know you've told me this 10 times, but tell me one more. And it just was so helpful to have them and to be able to call them now my friends, which is, which is amazing. So it, it was hard. Um, looking back now that I am 
a leader with our Sunday support teams and hearing our support group, hearing other moms say, well, my mom got to come in when I was at work and she sent me a video. And sometimes that's hard to hear because I, we weren't allowed that and it hurts. I mean, it it is hard to realize how isolated we were because of COVID, but in the same breath, we know it was for the best for Drew. And ultimately, I, th- I think that's what gave us the strong relationships we built within the NICU with, with our team. I can't imagine doing that journey without my first family photo. You know, mm-hmm. I, I just sit there and think when, when my daughter was born and we spent our time there, I had an eight-year-old and a five-year-old. And to have them be able to come in and us take our first family photo together, even with her in the isolate, was a momentous moment for me. And I, my heart just breaks for families who did not have those same type of experiences. And I know your family was one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I know that you mentioned your two older girls. Um, before we kind of go into that part, piece of the conversation, Uh, I know that something else we've talked about is the Native American culture that you are a part of you. um, This is, this is Native American maternal awareness month as well. And I really want to hit on this piece because your family is so tight and united and um, y'all have customs in your family that are beautiful customs. Do you want to maybe share just a little bit about kind of what that meant to you um, with not having your family there? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, especially when it comes to our Native American culture, family is huge. And some of the, it's it's pretty comical, some of the customs that we have, for instance, my aunt, my girls would not call her aunt. She is their grandma. And so that is just customary through our Native American family. Um So cousins, we do not have first and second cousins. We have grandmas and grandpas and big sister and big brother who are even higher up in the family order. Um, Instead of cousins, we would call them sisters and brothers. And so that whole aspect is, you can tell, is very family oriented within the community. And that was very difficult not to have my family with me while we were going through the hardest, hardest part of our lives that we've ever really entailed. Um, I could have just loved to have my aunt, my grandmother, my mom be part of my list that was able to come in and love on Drew to be able to feed him, hold him, be able to go through and talk to the nurses and help guide me who I have never been in this situation my entire life to have them comfort and help me through that. Um, it would have been, of course, we could always say woulda, coulda, shoulda. I mean, it would have been great, but we made it. Um, my family, thankfully we found other ways we would FaceTime as often as we could 
within the NICU. I would able to just get everybody on there. I would even FaceTime family from Tennessee, my uncle that and his family that would love, they just loved Drew. Their youngest daughter knitted a hat for Drew. And so she mailed it to baby Drew and I was able to FaceTime. So just the tightness of family was still there. It just looked a little different because of COVID. I I would have enjoyed having them come up and be able to pray over him. I that would have just been heartwarming, but instead they had to do it from afar because of COVID. Um there we've learned, we've had conversations after you and I, Tamara, and another NICU mom, we've had conversations about some of our customs growing up, not hanging up any sort of owls around um, Drew's room. I personally don't get caught up in those things, but if you were to talk to my mother or my aunt or any of my grandparents, they would forbid you to hang up any owls. Um, within the Native American culture, owls are a symbol of death and impending death. And it is just something that many of the traditional family members are not comfortable having around. Um, so that would have been interesting if we did any of that in, within the NICU. But to ha- thankfully... We didn't have to encounter any of that, but (laughs) give a little uh, history on that is uh, for Halloween costumes this year, we were kind of coming up with some ideas and uh, one of the costumes that we were talking about was an owl. And so um, I love how that, you know, being able to share those conversations and it's like, no, we don't, we're not going to do an owl. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) My mother would have had a heart attack for sure. (laughs) She would not have liked that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm so glad that we were able to honor that and in that part of the the culture and and the customs so that's really special so let's go back to drew and now he's here now he's in the nicu now you are developing relationships with staff and nurses and understanding you mentioned he wasn't initially on a ventilator and then he later transitioned to a ventilator do you remember do you remember how often um, or when you got to hold him for the first time? Do you remember some of those moments? Why don't you tell us about maybe how old he was and maybe some of those experiences? Because I think that for every mother that has that experience, being in there, being told you can't hold right now, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. I think that that is a momentous occasion that is just a treasured moment. And so mm-hmm. it, it just feels incredible. And I just wanted to see if you could put some words to that. Yeah. I have this little, my preemie baby book, the story of my days in the NICU. And while I was within the NICU, I kept it with me. I packed it in my bag every single day. I went to visit Drew and I was able to write notes in it because now a year, 13 months later, I, it was just a blur those times at the beginning was all very hazy and emotional and foggy that I'm grateful that I was able to keep this book and to write in it because now I can flip and turn through the pages and remind myself when I was able to hold him for the first time. It was huge. I remember the day. I remember walking in thinking 
maybe this this could be the day and it was it was huge it was huge um he was born on 10-4 I wasn't able to hold him until 10-13 and so what is that nine nine days later so I had nine days of just opening up his isolate and reaching my hands in and learning how to contain him with my right hand on his head and my left hand on his feet. That's all I really was able to do those first, that first week and a half. When I did finally hold him, I going into it, I thought, oh, I'm just going to ball my eyes out the first time I do this. Like I am just going to be a mess. And I think because he was on a ventilator, I was so nervous. I wasn't able to even feel the emotions of tears and crying through that whole, through that whole, whole event. Um, I just was nervous with this teeny tiny little thing being put on my chest. And I, I recall I had to have our primary nurse and, our respiratory therapist there and they had to it was almost like a synchronized dance they had to have to get him out of his isolate get me right up to the proper position of sitting in my recliner Um, I had to be very still where they could tape on the tube on my right shoulder and get him to where he was still warm and covered with warm blankets and I vividly remember every single piece of that and I wasn't emotional through it I just remember being still as a statue and my amazing nurse our primary nurse grabbed my phone and was videoing it once he got settled on me and I remember her saying to me just give him a kiss okay I'm gonna take a picture of you kiss him and I thought can I am I allowed to and it makes me sad thinking back now because I wouldn't even hesitate to give my baby a kiss but then I had, I had so much fear and I was it just, the whole thing was very unknown to me. And so there was a picture of me just putting my head down to his teeny tiny little head on my chest. And I didn't necessarily kiss him, but just for the sake of feeling his warmth, I just, from then on, I knew, okay, this is my child because I feel like the first nine days It was just so foreign, like this whole walking into the NICU is just so different than anything I imagined, Um, having permission to touch my child, not because I had to have permission, just because we wanted him to grow and be safe and be comfortable, and it just it was eye-opening that now I could actually hold him and touch him and kiss him and love on him. And it was incredible. Um, I ended up holding him three straight hours that day. I never moved and I am grateful. I'm a teacher because I have my teacher bladder and I was like, I'm going to sit here as long as you will let me and let me just snuggle him. And so we did, we just sat there and I, Thankfully, every day after that, I 
was able to, when I could, was able to hold him. And I would sit there the full three hours. You were not going to, I was not going to get up and go to the restroom. I was not going to want for anything. I made myself comfortable. I would kick my shoes off. I, before I would even sit down in my recliner, I'd put my comfy socks on. I would just get ready. And I knew I would pump right before and I would pump right after. And I just made sure I was going to be sitting in that chair for three solid hours to hold him. Um, it was incredible. And at first I thought, oh, they're not going to let me hold him that long. Sure enough, my mama bear nurse, she said, as long as you want, you can do it. And so we would do it within the three hours between um, hands-on time. And it was just, it was amazing. I still have moments today that when I'm rocking him and I, he's massive now on my chest, he can, he barely even fits. He takes up my whole entire chest. Um, but I sit and I hold him and I think, wow, we've been doing this for quite some time, Drew. And this is amazing how much he's grown from then until now. Yeah. Thank you for putting those into words, because I think I think sometimes, oh, it's the best moment ever when sometimes it's like, it's almost the scariest moment ever. Absolutely. It is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cause you've been and told wish, no, 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 no. <laughs> right. And I wish I could go back and be like, oh, I just, it was my baby. But at the moment I was like, I am not going to move. I am frozen with fear, but I'm so happy. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'll do it again. I'll do it all yeah. over again. Please. <laughs> yeah, yes. Please, um, I, there were, there were times when so drew did have a pda and so there were times where i was not allowed to hold him because we were going through the treatment to possibly close the pda and on those days where i wasn't able to hold him were the hardest days um that's where really the tears flowed um i even get emotional now thinking about it uh, knowing that he had this medicine where I'd have to just completely leave him still and leave him alone um, in his isolate. It was hard. I looked forward to going in and holding him every day. I look forward to having that moment where I could just sit and read to him and play my worship music and sing to him. Um, and on those couple of days, because we did, we had to try three different attempts to close his PDA and each time was a sequence of three days. And so there were quite a few days where I wasn't able to hold him. And those were hard. Those were very hard. I, my sweet girls at home just put up with me crying all morning and I'd get home and I'd cry again in the evenings because I wasn't able to have that time with him. And it, it, it was very hard. Yeah. To be told, um, to have it taken away from you is, is another piece to that, uh, that not often people think about because you're given permissions and then some of those permissions are taken away from you and it's just hard. And for good reason. I mean, right. it, it is exactly, we wanted that. Oh, we prayed so hard for his PDA to close. And as hard as it was on me, I knew it was the best for him and that's what we wanted. And we did not want to disturb him with hopes that it would close. So, yeah. 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 And keep keeping his health as the priority as in the forefront of 
everything that you did, everything you sacrificed. And you know what? I, I will let him lay there, uh, but it, mm-hmm. it does not mean that it's not hard. Yeah. <laughs> so and I feel like that's motherhood in general, isn't it? it you have a very good to, point. yeah, you have to put their needs and it's hard. It's hard. And you want to be selfish and yeah, that's my baby. I want to hold them, but you have to put your child's needs first. So yeah, very good point. You guys were there for a long time. And so you can maybe tell us a little bit how long y'all were there and maybe some of those pieces to um, those days. We were in the NICU for 99 days, one day short of 100. And my husband and I joked, we were, we said, we're not going to be here into those triple digits. We're not. And we got to go home one day after my due date. Um, We were, he was 99 days old when we were allowed to go home. Um, He was put on a ventilator. The, I I believe the next day after he was born, it was 10, 6, 10, 5 around then when he was put on a ventilator and he was not taken off. We tried several, they tried several times to take him off, but he just could not handle it. So they would put him, they would intubate him again. Um, He did self-extubate within that first month, and we thought, okay, Drew's trying to show us he's going to do this, but sadly, no, he would have to be reintubated, and so it took him a little over a month and a half to get off of the traditional ventilator. They did move him to RAM once he was able. It was right in the middle of November when we switched him. They switched him to RAM. He was on that for about two weeks and then we moved just suddenly it felt, which is funny to think like it took two weeks, but in my eyes, then it was like, oh, wow, we're making the switch to CPAP already. And it was only two weeks and he was on CPAP for, we tried, they tried. I just remember the, oh, the wait and see, let's wait and see how he's going to do. Let's give him some time. And we would have to go back to Ram the next day. Okay, we're going to give him a little, let's give him some steroids and see if that'll give him a boost and then we can get him on to CPAP. And so they tried that several times and we finally made the switch over where he was able to stay on CPAP. He was on that for about a week and a half and then we made the switch to high flow. Um, That's where the journey really, the hard part really kicked in was when we made it to that low flow, high flow area where then we were able to start bottle feeds. That was the hardest part of our journey. Um, We were very grateful that Drew never had any brain bleeds. Um, He did have a PDA, which never closed, by the way, once being in the NICU, even after our third treatment, it never did close while we were in there. So we just continued to keep trucking. They stopped treatments for that and just hoped that he would stabilize. And he did. Um, He was able to then wean himself down to the low flow. When we started bottle feeds, it was terrifying. Um, That was the hardest thing for him to get a hold of. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Saved You a Seat. 
Oklahoma Family Network promotes family-centered care and provides tools so families can make informed decisions, advocate for improved services, build connections among families, and serve as a trusted resource in health care of children and young adults. If you would like to become a supporting family or get in touch with another family, please contact Oklahoma Family Network at oklahomafamilynetwork.org or by calling 405-271-5072.